Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Mornings with Carmen, except, of course, this morning is Mornings without Carmen. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for today. I know Carmen will be back in with you in this host chair tomorrow and for the rest of the week. And delighted to be actually back in studio with you this morning, Paul Perot. Good morning. I know. Yesterday you did it remotely because we weren't too sure about you being exposed to... uh, Somebody you know who may have had COVID? Yeah, he actually ended up testing positive yesterday. He, he did. He did lose his sense of taste, his sense of smell, which is, you know, a pretty One significant big, hallmark. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if, if that yeah. happens, you probably know. And he texted me on Sunday and said that that was the case. I had last seen him on Wednesday. So it was it was unlikely, but I figured I better get tested as well. And mm-hmm. so I don't know if you've had the opportunity, the great joy of having that uh, glorified Q-tip sort of swab into your cerebellum. But that's ah. what happened with me yesterday morning. And Thank you for sharing that <laughs> picture. I'm sure many of our listeners can sympathize. Uh, the, the bit of anxiety that happens when they ask you to tip your head back and open up those nostrils and, and off you go. But I was grateful that the test existed in the way that it did, found out my results in 20 minutes and feel fine this morning. So glad to be in studio with you, Paul, with all of you as listeners as well. And you clued me in yesterday that today, being March the 16th, yep. when you put the n- numbers there instead of... Yeah, we get to 316. So this is good news day. This is John 316. Do you have any recollection of the first time you ever heard this first, and I would love for you listeners too to text in throughout the morning at eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four with any answer to that question, any recollection of how this verse has been used in your life as well. Again, John three sixteen, we're celebrating that today. But Paul, any remembrance of maybe among the first times you've heard this verse? Oh my, that is a good question. Um, probably, I mean, I, I it probably I grew up in a in a liturgical church. It was probably part of the liturgy, but I it never really really, you know, became real to me probably till I was about a teenager. Yeah. And I don't remember the context. I just remember the verse. So. Yeah. And I think it's one of those verses that many people do learn to memorize. I ask my students from time to time, what is the most famous verse in the scriptures? And, and inevitably, this is the one, if they know some of the scriptures, that this is the one that they know. And so, again, we're talking about, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, so whoever believes will not perish but have everlasting life. And perhaps a paraphrase of that, if we went into the original language, and maybe we'll do a little bit of this this morning at different breaks and different times, different conversations. But oh, he's going to get I'm geeky get all Greek on us here. Geeky Greek indeed on that. But, but I think it's just important to note without doing the entire verse that the reason why the heavens rent open, the reason why the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, to use the language of John, was because of love, because of an other-centered care. Uh, Dallas Willard talks about God's care for humankind was so great. And, and that word love is not an embracing of something. It is a care for something that has been lost. It is mm-hmm. a tenderhearted affection. It is a always pursuing affection. And it's willing to give of itself for the sake of other people to be made whole. And so I think whatever else you're wondering about today, about who God is in your life, what a great start to the morning than to think that God's care for you, his other-centered affection, his tenderheartedness, his willingness to give up his own glory for the sake of your wholeness is really why those heavens were rent open and are so uh, part of the good news 
news of the gospel, John 3.16. So I would love to hear from you this morning. If you can just text into the studio, 877-933-2484, about any experience you've had with this beautiful verse, John 3.16. Well, up first here in Hour 1, we're going to cover a lot of news, and we'll be joined by Nick Pitts, the fellow. He's a fellow for the Institute of Global Engagement. We're going to talk a little bit about an anniversary of Breonna Taylor uh, that's marked by violence, as well as the Pope coming forth with a pretty stark statement that he's not going to bless gay marriage. So lots to get into next with Nick Pitts. Stay with us here on Mornings Without Carmen. time to welcome Nick Pitts into the show. He's in, uh, part of the Institute for Global Engagement as regular guest here on Mornings with Carmen, covering some of the headlines of the morning. Nick, I've got to be honest with you. Every time I see your name and talk with you, Nick Pitts, I think that is a secret agent name. That's, that's you know, there's nothing about <laughs> Peter Kapsner that, that sort of sparks secret agent conversation. But Nick Pitts, you have to have a different life besides uh, being a fellow at the Institute, right? Uh, unfortunately, uh, you were the first person to ascribe positivity when you hear the word last name Pitts. And so growing <laughs> up, it was always Harry Pitts or armpits or smelly pits or Nick, 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 the Nick, 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 Nickelodeon. So nevertheless, it was always a point of taunting, but what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And so <laughs> no secret agent here, but someone that has endured great pain and difficulty and emotional trauma. Uh, well, it sure sounds way. And the playground is uh, such a wonderful hotbed for exactly that reality. <laughs> well, yeah. great, great to speak with you. There's lots to cover this morning, a bunch of different headlines that are pretty relevant to day-to-day life for all of us. And I guess I didn't realize until I saw some of the tracking sheet this morning, some of what we're going to cover, that this is the anniversary of Brianna Taylor's death, and uh, really, it was th- probably not as well known as uh, at the time when it happened for a lot of people. It, it kind of began this cascade of events. But, but tell us a little bit about what we're seeing and some of the violence that is continuing on, and some of the social unrest as a result of all of this. Yeah, Brianna Taylor. Uh, uh, this time last year, she was the uh, death uh, by policemen in Louisville when uh, police officers. Um, kind of the no-knock warrant that Senator Rand Paul and others have, cha- have championed, kind of uh, eradicating from the books. Um, uh, Breonna Taylor was just sleeping in her bed at night. Uh, police officers stormed her house because they uh, suspected um, uh, illegal activity was happening in there with her boyfriend, and she lost her life in crossfire. And so now, uh, a year later, there continues to be unrest in these cities uh, from cities that we are pretty well known and have a long established record of, of, of giving into protests and riots and violence. And again, it isn't anything new. So over the weekend, there was protests specifically in Los Angeles, Seattle and Portland. And this, this type of violence has been pretty prevalent um, uh, this year, uh, which really in the grand scheme of things, uh, we, we've been, as we move, continue to move forward, we're experiencing more peace. But as of last year, we really started to see an uptick in violence across a lot of these cities just because of the racial unrest. So, for example, in LAPD, it reports that officers have fielded 570 reports of shots fired in the first two months this uh, this year. 
that's an 88% uptick from last year. Mm. Um, uh, there's been an uptick of 267 people were struck by gunfire, which is a 141% increase from last year. If we go over to Seattle, Seattle murder rate has rose 61% in 2020. It's the highest it's been in 26 years. And in Portland, um, the city saw almost twice as many shootings in January of this year, about 100 compared to last year, which was around 51. And so this violence and this unrest, even though it's not, it's still prevalent uh, and just not as much in the headlines, is still something that's plaguing many of the cities across the U.S. And Nick, when you look at the violence and look at the statistics and look at what was sparked here and such racial unrest in the last uh, year or so like this, is your, is your general sense of it that this didn't necessarily start the dissatisfaction? This didn't start maybe the violence of heart that we've had as a country for a very long time against one another in so many different ways, but this just gave it maybe some space. It gave it uh, some voice, and, and but that we weren't talking about living a resolved life together of peace prior to all of this. Mm-hmm. And, and even though we have seen maybe a reduction or, or some measure of peace, it feels like it's still sort of stewing underneath the surface. I'm not sure if that's your read of the situation as well. Yeah, racial relations has continued to go down since around 2016, late 2016, early 2017. uh, Gallup started doing polling that indicated that race relations, perceptions of race relations was not improving in the U.S. There's even numbers that we have anywhere from around. um, uh, It was 51 percent said racial relations were getting worse uh, five years ago. Now it's jumped up to around 81 percent. Um, and so we're we're not heading in the right direction, and a large part of, there's a there's a confluence of factors. We don't I don't want to just attribute it to one particular thing, but you have to think that some of these again some of these incidents that have happened, tragedies that have happened, like Breonna Taylor, coupled with just the isolation that individuals are experiencing due to the pandemic, has just in, uh, exasperated exasperated the situation, intensified it to where individuals are living out what uh, the the quote that King said that riots are riots are the language of the unheard and individuals want change and tragically and, and um, they're taking to the streets to do so. And it's just a very it's unproductive, but um, it is it isn't it just it's just hard. Mm. And it's hard to, to see a pathway forward that uh, political means and political mechanisms would bring a, about the authentic peace or shalom between people yeah. independent of God's kingdom, right? And, and and I think we even see some of the division, not just in, in the realm of racial conversations, but as well as just even wondering about whether Joe Biden's presidency is considered uh, legitimate or not. White evangelical, some of the numbers have come out recently that 60% or more would say that his election was illegitimate. And, and that just mm-hmm. continues to fan the flames, right? Why, why would you adhere to a certain kind of social policy or believe that that social policy could be helpful in any way if you don't think he's a legitimate president to begin with, independent uh, of whether or not there was some voter fraud going on or however we understand those things? The reality is, is, is when you see somebody as illegitimate, it's just going to continue to fan the flames. Yeah, we, uh, you know, there it's, it's, very interesting levels of trust that have happened over the past, the the erosion of trust that's happened over the past 40 years here in the U.S. We've gone from um, being able to trust institutions like the police, trusting institutions 
like um, uh, like even our neighbor. One of the my one of my favorite statistics is the idea that um, that the 50 years ago, 75 percent of Americans said that they could trust their neighbor, mm. um, and now that number has trickled down to 33 percent. And among uh, among millennials, that number is I believe it's at 17 wow. percent. We just don't trust each other anymore. And when you don't trust each other, you're living in isolation. Um, where the number of friends has gone from 25 years ago to three from 3.7 to 1.8, you're just having not only you're not trusting institutions, you're not trusting your neighbor, and you don't know anyone because you've kind of given into the lie that social media is some type of um, this supplementary uh, primary way to be able to make friends. In reality, that's just not the case, and so you're reacting rather violently um, and just because you want your voice to be heard and you demand change to happen when in reality, it's just a very unproductive way for change to happen because something does need to happen. I don't want to undersell that something does need to happen relative to specific instances, uh, uh, uh within, uh, kind of the race relations, but, uh, the riots just are very unproductive way for that to happen. Yeah, boy, it really, that is a stunning statistic, Nick, the idea that maybe 70% of the, the current and next generation doesn't trust one another. I think it just speaks to a failure in so many levels from uh, being used by politicians to gain their votes and as they're spinning the information or the, or the church and the institution of the church has gone through a pretty significant trust crisis, both in the Catholic yeah. and the evangelical places. And it just, mm-hmm. that breakdown of trust means that you can't really enter into those kind of relationships that then are marked by peace between us. Well, we've got to take a short break, Nick, when we come back, speaking of the Catholic Church, some pretty interesting statements coming out of the, out of the Vatican City about the Pope not willing to bless gay marriage. I think there is quite a bit of a wink-wink, nod-nod that he really was supportive of gay marriage, and this was a pretty emphatic statement. So I want to ask you about that next here on Mornings Without Carmen. It is 20 minutes past the top of the hour here on March 16th, that being 316, that being the good news day. We're going to cover a bit of John 316. I know some listeners have already texted in some of their experiences with that verse. Again, we'd love to hear from you this morning at 877-933-2484. And Nick, during the break, I'd asked you the same question in terms of maybe your first experience, first exposure, just even how you remember this verse as part of the fabric of your own life. Yeah, so it's interesting. I, I mean, I grew up in a Christian home, but it really didn't. It really didn't click for me until I was my first year of college. And so, the our John three sixteen wasn't necessarily the verse that I would attribute to the idea of three sixteen. It was really pro wrestling, and so Austin <laughs> three sixteen at the time. And so, you got Stone Cold Steve Austin. That's uh, you. You see the signs and the WWF individuals that are holding up Austin three sixteen. Which really doesn't make any sense, except it's a like uh, like we mentioned before. It's a very popular um, numbers due to John three sixteen's prevalence, and I just remember thinking, yeah, Austin three sixteen. Somebody give him the give him the so called center, and let's all celebrate, and then he'll walk back or whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, it wasn't until in college where I finally recognized, oh, okay, it's not a it's not the deliverance uh, uh, of our. Uh, and it's not the deliverance that comes from Austin, Stone Cold, Steve Austin, but uh, rather it's uh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's brilliant. Nick. That, I mean, now I'm back into the 1980s with Hulkamania running wild, you know, during uh, WrestleMania <laughs> yeah, exactly. and all that. I love it. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> well, there were some pretty—I I definitely wanted to cover this uh, with you this morning. There were some statements coming out of the Vatican about the Pope not willing to bless gay marriage. He actually then even used the dreaded word sin related to it, and uh, oh, and it was quite a statement. So tell us about how you saw this and what your read of it is. 
Yeah, you know, uh, for so many of us, this is a hard issue because it concerns a close friend. Right, right? absolutely. Um, and so um, when we hear the, the idea of sin, no one no one feels comfortable when they hear that idea of sin. Um, when they hear the word choice, um, that uh, it's just a, it's a very difficult conversation to enter into because that, that conversation has a particular face and somebody that you love. And so recognizing that one and then recognizing that it's just becoming more prevalent here in the U.S. Since 2014, um, the year uh, right before Obergefell and the Supreme Court decision, number of married same-sex couples, uh, households increased by almost 70%, rising to 568,000 um, in 2019. Um, and of those 980,000 same-sex households reported in 2019, 58% were married couples mm. and 42% were unmarried partners. And so these are individuals that you know. Um, for many of us, these are probably individuals that live in your neighborhood and that are that are very kind. And so the idea that they're blatantly living in sin is something that we, yes, we know from the biblical record that the Pope affirmed uh, yesterday out of the Vatican. But it's a, it's a it's a pretty hard hard reality to live with, especially when these individuals would appear to be um, living just a. a, a blessed life and just doing well. But in reality, um, the Pope in this instance, wasn't he wasn't giving us good, he wasn't sharing with us new news. He was just sharing with us what the biblical re- record is attested for over 2,000 years. Mm. Well, you know, Nick, the Catholic Church seems uniquely positioned to maybe reestablish the wonder and the beauty and the holiness of the one flesh covenant between male and female because of their global mm-hmm. reach and because we see that support for gay marriage globally is actually pretty low when you look at countries like Asia and Africa and South oh, yeah. America. It's, it's really primarily a first world Western secularized culture phenomenon. And, and, and with marriage being a sacrament in the Catholic Church, maybe uh, one of the things that they can carve out a pathway forward to in the Catholic Church is the reestablishment of why, why is it important that it is male and female? Because I think that's so much of what's been lost, right? At the end of the day, if, mm-hmm. if marriage is just about companionship and love, then then why would somebody object to two men or two women being married independent of the biblical record? If they're, you know, just having companionship, who cares? But there's so much more to marriage that actually requires masculinity and femininity from the biblical record. And it, and it seems like the Catholic Church could maybe promote that again. Yeah, you know, uh, and this goes back to, uh, again, probably to circle back to our John uh, 3.16 and then Stone Cold Steve Austin. There's just certain uh, concepts that have been taken by the culture that have been largely uprooted from the biblical narrative and from the church world um, that we're just largely unaware of. And so the idea of blessing is one of those things. What is a blessing? Yes, most people on the street, a blessing is just going to be some um, some well wish, some positive affirmation. When in reality, we know a blessing is it's something that awakens us to the closeness and goodness of God. Mm. Um, and since the genesis of the world, God's been lovingly chasing after all of us, whether it's in a garden, the mouth of a cave, the wilderness, et cetera, et cetera. God's been pursuing us, even though we've been turning away from Him. And when we sin, we choose another way instead of His way. And we satisfy legitimate desires in illegitimate ways, as Oswald Chambers says. This isn't to turn from chasing after us or for choosing us, um, because this pursuit is not contingent upon our obedience. Uh, um, God wants each of us to have the fullest life with the bounding joy. And this life is intricately tied to His ways and Mm. what He set out in the biblical narrative. And he blesses us, it says in Psalm 67, so that the world, uh, so that he, his ways may be known on the earth. Um, and blessing service billboards directing us in the larger world toward him, not away from him. 
And when we know we sin, we are turning away from God. Um, when in reality, blessings are to show people the, His ways, the way, and to awaken them to how close and good He is. And so it just makes sense that the Catholic Church would come out and say, well, we can't bless gay marriages because uh, bl- blessings awaken us to the fullness of life and the abounding joy of following the God way, the Jesus way. And so well said, Nick, and so important that to recognize that God's ways actually bring freedom and hope into this. This isn't about God being a moral policeman in the sky. He really yeah. has the ways of hope. And so so why is it, again, we can reestablish why the male-female one-flesh covenant is just that way? Well, before I let you run here, Nick, we've got a little bit less than a minute left, but you and I are both basketball guys, and I saw that March Madness in the NCAA is going to be back this year. What do you see in that? Oh, I see glory, glory, glory. <laughs> After a year of going without any type of madness in March outside of the pandemic from last year, I'm so excited this year to have my um, brackets, my numerous brackets turn into something less than, even though it's highly coveted during COVID, toilet paper. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm looking forward to making uh, erroneous picks and you know, I, I'm a strong, I'm a Southern guy, and so SEC has always been uh, the conference that holds my heart. Vanderbilt, my team, is rarely in the tournament, but uh, if I, if I'm, I'd like to see, um, I'd like to see Gonzaga pull it out, just because Mark Few and the program that he runs. I don't think that the they're they're obviously the number one seed. They played phenomenal this year, but I, I'm I'm thinking Illinois is going to pull it out this year. It sure is fun to have it back, and Gonzaga as well, as you said. It's fun to see sort of that small team from the West Coast maybe fight it out against the big giants across the country. It reminds me of the movie Hoosiers at that point, so it's sure going to be fun to watch. And, Nick, thanks as always for the great insight this morning and the way you just cover the news from a Christian standpoint. I really appreciate it. Great to be with you. We'll take a short break and bottom of the hour news and come back for the second half of this hour with Luke Moon from the Providence Magazine. We'll continue in some of the headlines of the day. been fun to chat about John 316 a little bit this morning. I've been inviting you to text in with your stories or sort of recollections about this verse and its impact or meaning in your life. We'd love to hear from you at 877-933-2484. And Martha's texted in, Paul, right? What did oh, she have yes. to say? Martha from uh, Manchester, Connecticut. She said, it was two years ago this week that my father fell ear, uh, ill, that is, and we learned his passing was imminent. I remember the hospital pastor saying that when a person is edging closer to death, as dad was, the person decides when they will pass. So we don't need to be worried about whether we could be there in the room with him or not. Mm. Dad would decide when he would let go of his life. Well, after seven days in the hospital, my father passed on March 16th. Wow. Dad's name was John. And we realized later that he chose the date, 316, so that we, his children, would always remember how much God loves us. Oh, Martha, what a story. I'm not, I've got goosebumps from yeah. that. I mean, chills coming through that. What an incredible invitation. And what a statement that people, when they're ready to lay it down, to, to go mm-hmm. from the perishable body to be raised imperishable. That is the great promise. That's the great hope of our faith, that even though we die, yet we live, and that this whole world is not the end of the story. If it was, boy, we would be lost and to be pitied, mm-hmm. uh, in the words of Paul. So that's great news, Martha. Thanks for sharing that. We'd love to hear your stories as well. One more time, 877-933-2484. Text in with your stories and recollections of John 316. Luke Moon is up next from Providence Magazine. We'll keep covering the news headlines of the day.
It's a topic many of us would rather dodge. It can make both parents and children alike squirm. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. I'm talking about our sexually charged culture. The temptations for inappropriate sexual expression and experimentation abound. And though it's easier to assume that your kids are making right choices, there's no substitute for a healthy one-on-one conversation. Mom, Dad, take some control and have the conversation. Empower your kids to make wise choices by opening up the dialogue at home. How soon? At what age do you broach the subject? That's a question you have to answer. But I'll tell you this, it's probably sooner than you think. Want more parenting help from Mark Gregston? Find encouragement through articles, books, and more at ParentingTodaysTeens.org. Again, ParentingTodaysTeens.org. The wise men will bow down before the throne. And at his feet, they'll cast their golden crowns. When the man comes around. I love it. The walk-up songs this morning have a little bit of a country vibe to them, Paul Pro. That's fun. That means that... Hey, uh, this is what they chose. What? I let the guests choose. It was, it was a great choice. And uh, we're welcoming Luke Moon into the program here this morning from Providence Magazine, the Philos Project as well. And Luke, your Skype handle has cool hands on it. I've got to believe Cool Hand Luke was part of your childhood or something. It, it was, it was, uh, and also me and Paul Newman are, are like doppelgangers. So Paul <laughs> was younger, more actually, no, I, I'm, I'm getting closer to him on the, on the, uh, you know, the dressing. Right. <laughs> right, right. So the dressing photo of Paul Newman is, is what you're, you're aspiring to right now. And Luke, is that what you're saying? It's getting there. I'm getting there. It's like he, he, he stopped in time and I keep progressing. That's what happened. <laughs> like, but no, it's, I, I'm a I'm a big fan of, of Paul Newman and Cool Hands, Cool Hands Luke. I mean, it's a great film, and uh, I'm named Luke. You know, right? It all works cool together. Hands. It does. It does. Well, it great does. to have you on the program here this morning. We got a few headlines to cover. Most of these international ones, as you do at Providence Magazine, and in this particular case, uh, I was a little surprised when I saw some of the headlines that it's been ten years of civil war now in Syria. This is not exactly the kind of anniversary that we want to celebrate, Luke, but boy, what a tremendous amount of pain and turmoil that has just racked that country for this period of time. What are some of the latest in this? What have we seen maybe in the future of this? Is there any end to it? Just kind of walk us through what's happening here. Well, yeah, I mean, 10 years. It's hard to it's hard to imagine that it's been 10 years. I mean, the, the, a lot of what happened, you know, was that it, you know, back in 2011, in 2010, there was the Arab Spring, and and what people saw was well, what leaders saw in the region as uh, Egypt fell uh, to the to the protests, the Arab Spring protests. When when the protests started in in Syria, they were like no way, and so they just were brutal in 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 putting down the protests, and as a result, you ended up with this civil war that lasted. Now for ten years, a half million people dead, between eleven and twelve million people displaced. I mean, I, for years, I, I took I was I took teams of of people to 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 Israel, and you would stand on the Golan overlooking Syria, and you would yeah. hear the sound of fifty caliber machine gun, do do do, you know, and you would see mushroom clouds in the distance. Like every time I went for years, it was it's a little it's a little insane that it's gone on. On this long, and the, the tragedy is, it's become 
you know, it was bad enough when it was just a normal civil war and people were dying, but then COVID, right? And so right. it locked the borders. It meant that people were not able to get supplies that they had been able to get before. Uh, a lot of, of the kind of basic supplies were being kind of people would take trips into Lebanon to, to pick up supplies. Well, then the Beirut blast happened this last year in in Beirut and it knocked out the port so suddenly Lebanon was not no longer like the safe place for people to go and get supplies medicine uh you know uh, like you know basics right and so it's just gone from bad to worse uh and uh, you know I honestly I don't know what the future holds but you know at some point uh, that that country's gonna gotta change. It's it's too it, it can it can't keep going like this much longer. Boy, your description, Luke, it just it calls back to mind the time that I spent in Israel too, and stood in those Golan Heights area, and you just you you see these tremendous warning signs where you're just right on the edge of the bloodshed and the war, and I, I can't imagine what life is like living day in and day out, twenty four seven. And it's one thing to sort of see it in the news and then maybe pass on, but uh, I would imagine when you're living in that kind of reality, you're not living under sort of the great fog or the illusion that uh, the fullness of hope and peace and shalom is possible within this world. I mean, it really just is evidence of the terrifying this present darkness in which we live and, and why we hope for a return on some level. Because just can you imagine day in and day out, your your life is consumed by whether or not violence is going to come to your neighborhood in this way, whether you can find food, water, rations, all of that. It's, it's just got to be tremendously difficult. No, it is. And, and the, the challenge is, is that, you know, it's also there was a long time where there was Attention on Syria. Syria war started, you know, as the U.S. was trying to basically get out of the region. Right. And so there was, you know, when Obama came in, there was no stomach for more U.S. involvement. So, you know, remember, there was like, you know, gas attacks and, and red lines created and then red lines ignored. And, and there was, you know, it, there was just no stomach on the part of basically anybody in the West to really kind of engage in any serious way. And so it just has lingered on and on. And and it was, you know, largely, a, as is most of the region, a, you know, there's a it's a civil war between the, the major, you know, branches of of uh, Islam. Right. So it's it's you know, it's like the 30 years war and the 100 years war uh, between Protestantism and, and Catholic uh, the Catholics in in Europe uh, for a, for a long time, and, and it, it's it carries that same kind of thing, and that's why you see the conflict in other region in in other parts of the Middle East. I mean, the the Houthis in Yemen are are a continuation of that divide. I mean, basically, what Assad did in in Syria was everybody who was Sunni, uh, the the other main branch, uh, was driven from the country. Uh, and you know they are in refugee camps in Jordan, in in, in Lebanon, in, in Turkey, and in, in you know even not in refugee camps, but they fled to to Europe and and elsewhere. So really, there was a kind of an ethnic cleansing aspect to this as well. I mean, same ethnicity, but different kind of religious affiliation. So that happened, and it and it just hasn't gone. But it, I don't see it going back to normal anytime soon. It really that country. Uh, all told, I think the the best solution would be for it to be get divided along religious uh, and and ethnic lines. The Alawites and the and the Sunnis divided by and 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 then you have you have other groups that that are there as well. But 
I I don't think there's any kind of vision for that coming out of any place in in the world. Yeah, it's hard to see a pathway forward where uh, violence doesn't just continue to be get further violence. And you referenced Yemen in passing as well, and the Houthis are. There is some headlines coming out of that country too. And and this is, we, we've seen sort of the suppression of global terrorism on some level, primarily because of the virus. But as the as the virus abates, perhaps in the, in the years ahead, we might see the rise of some terrorism again. And Luke, it seems to me that the terrorism is often, again, sort of a protest against the perceived social situation or religious situation. And it's another example, not just here in the West, but globally, how people assume that violence can be used to accomplish whatever means they are. And then we assume that peace is going to come from that. But boy, we're seeing some difficulty in Yemen as well. Yeah, I mean, I think the the challenge of Yemen was that that you know the Trump administration had put the Houthis as a as a terrorist organization, basically a national international terrorist organization, which meant there was all kinds of limitations applied to them and limitations very very in, intense ones. Uh, you know, this was one of the things that that I predicted would take place that once the kind of the boot got off the neck of of the Houthi rebels that you would see a restart to to the civil war uh, in in Yemen and that's exactly what we're seeing and and it's unfortunately it's part of the the you know the the pivot from back uh, of the of the Biden administration back to the posture that the Obama administration had had which was a more kind of pro Iran position and therefore in and more antagonistic towards the the Saudis or the, the the Sunni angle, right? And so as a result, like the, you know, this is this is you know what I predicted uh, a, a few months ago uh, on this show was that you would see a restart to the to the Yemen civil war once with the changing of the administration, and and we're seeing it. I mean, the pro and it's it's even worse than kind of I expected because uh, the Hezbollah, which is a major kind of terrorist organization in the region and, and mostly on the border with Israel and in 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 Lebanon, uh, is now uh, they've all they've teamed up with the Houthis uh, and are creating some uh, the, an airfield and and they're launching uh, drones to to try and basically start fires uh, on the uh, Sunni or sorry on the Saudi Arabia oil fields which would cause an environmental catastrophe it's really it's really a mess it is it and, and as you're talking there's just so many different places we could go with with that Luke in terms of just the violence upon violence but it does call to mind that famous statement that darkness cannot drive out darkness only light can do that and, and there has to be an invitation somewhere in the midst of this for the church the children of light the men and women of faith to to determine what light looks like in this world in the midst of this descending spiral of violence both in the West but also in other parts of the world like this. Let's take a short break. When we come back, we'll uh, talk a little bit about what's happening in Myanmar as well because we have martial law imposed there. There's just lots to get to globally and find some hope in the midst of this as well, Luke. So we'll be back here in just a minute. More with Luke Moon from the Providence Magazine. Paul, I love all the versions of John 3.16, some of the music that you're coming out with this morning as we're celebrating on March 16th, the 3.16, John 3.16, the Gospel mm-hmm. Good News Days. But it's been some great power makes you've had. Well, we, I got more. Yeah, I got more. I, I, we, we have a whole other hour after this, so I'm looking forward to some of that, Luke, as we've been talking about John 3.16 a bit this morning. Any kind of quick free association uh, memories, recollections of how this verse might have been used or where it might have intersected with your life? 
Well, I was a missionary for, for 12 years. And so, you know, I used John 3.16 a good bit. And I remember when I was, uh, you know, talking to, you know, when, when, when a Buddhist in Thailand hears John 3.16, they, you know, for God and, and God means something very, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean the God of the Bible. Mm. And the world is something that, that the Buddhist is trying to escape from this kind of endless cycle. This everlasting life is, is to them like, you know, for, it means in something very different in Buddhism. And yet, Buddhists in Thailand become Christians every day. So what is what's happening there? It means that what is happening is 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 God takes my words of John three sixteen being spoken out into into the the Buddhists of Thailand and and He transforms them so that a person understands the love of God in that moment in a it beyond what their kind of the 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 constraints of their language and their kind of worldview and their concepts. So it's, there's something very special when, when we're speaking out the words of truth and the gospel, we're not doing it alone. We're doing it under the power of the Holy spirit who, who kind of morphs those words into a way that is understood by the hearer. And I think that's cool. No, that is such a, thank you for that. It's in some of what you and I are covering this morning and, and need to cover about some of these global headlines. It's just a, a, such a breath of fresh air as well in the midst of the, the hope of the kingdom, the hope of the gospel. And, Related to that, we see then some of the darkness again in this world and what's going on in Myanmar. And uh, just maybe tell our listeners where Myanmar is, actually, what kind of country it is, and then what's happening there as well. Because anytime I turn on the BBC news, for example, out of the United Kingdom, that seems to be the primary headline, but it's not getting the same amount of coverage here across the pond. So give us a little sense of what's happening there. Yeah, Myanmar, you know, there was a it was a, basically a coup uh, that took place uh, in, in uh, the 1st of February. Uh, and since then, there has been protests continually. Uh, you know, people calling for democracy, uh, and and a lot of the, in in many cases, those protests have been put down violently. Uh, there's been estimates of you know at least over uh, 138 people have have been killed in the protests this last weekend. Uh, about 56 were killed, and. And that has led to this kind of institutions, like putting in the martial law. And, the, you know, one of the things that I think is important to keep in mind, because it's, you know, you have these protests in places like Myanmar and even, you know, how the, the Syrian civil war started. And there there are places where civil disobedience has worked and there's in, in kind of protests and changing regimes and whatever. And there's places where it doesn't. And one of the factors, and this is, you can look it up, one of the factors that makes a difference is the degree to which uh, the Bible is a big part of that language or mm. culture place in the world because it it's there's there's some you know civil disobedience was actually is one of those things that was instituted by god right you have the you have shadrach meshach and abednego in, in daniel you had the favorite story yeah right the um the midwives uh in in the first couple chapters of of exodus who who saved the, the babies right they were yeah. disobeying Pharaoh was ordered to kill the babies, right? And so you have this, God is into civil disobedience if it's to, to follow his uh, commands. Uh, and I, you know, that's one of the things I think that kind of breaks through, you you know, because you had civil disobedience in, even in the United States and the South, like the civil rights 
changes in in um, South Africa. You had the change even in India. Uh, you had those the, the change. Why? Because the ruling the the power that was that India was trying to throw off the shackles of was the British Empire, right? And the British Empire was you know had had the Bible somewhere. So so even though there's the brutality and whatever, when it comes down to it, you see this. The, you see the the protests end up. Uh, making these transformational changes for for the better, and unfortunately, you don't see that in a place like Myanmar or even a place like Syria, because there's just uh, the Bible's not there, and instead you see violence with civil protests and death. Mm, that's such a great point, Luke. Across the board, just even the civil disobedience of the scriptures, it calls to mind that the early disciples in Jerusalem in the Book of Acts, as well, who make that famous statement, yep. "We must obey God rather than men." Yep. And, and I think you know where our allegiance falls when we're talking about being part of the heavenly kingdom. That's where the real hope comes into. Well, we're out of time. We got to leave it there. But I just appreciate your wisdom and your perspective, and and just what you do for Providence Magazine, but for all of us, just kind of calling through the headlines globally and what they mean from a kingdom standpoint. So have a great rest of the morning, Luke. Thank you. We'll wrap up our first hour of the show and preview it's coming up next in hour two here on Mornings Without Carmen. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for the day. Boy, I asked Luke relatively spontaneously about his background with John 3.16 and what a story where he's able to talk about 12 years of being a missionary and, and mm-hmm. using that verse in different religious contexts and what that might mean. It was fabulous. It is interesting. It just, again, goes to prove not only is the Word of God powerful when the Spirit comes through what it, well, what yeah. the Spirit breathes, it, it's... It can be transformative. It really can be. We'd love to hear from you again this morning about any sort of experience, background, recollections you might have on John 316 as we celebrate that today. Here you can text the studio at 877-933-2484. One more piece of that beautiful verse, one more piece of the puzzle is that God's care for humankind is what rent open the heavens and caused Jesus to come down to die for us and to, and to beat death, having that tomb being empty. And, and so whoever believes, says that verse, and that word believe there is not the strength to which you believe something is true or the lack of doubt that you might have about something, but to believe in the Greek language is the perpetual posture of surrender, of leaning into, of giving one's life for. Even in the midst of any doubt and uncertainty we might have, we continue to lean into and surrender. And when we do that as the people of light, as the children uh, of our King, there's incredible things that begin to happen. We begin to not perish, but walk in everlasting life. We'll cover some of those words in the next hour as we work through John 3:16 this morning, celebrating the heart of the gospel. When we come back here, after a short break, we'll be joined by Jeff Barrows of the Christian Medical and Dental Association. So pretty interesting upside to what has happened with all the social distancing in terms of some of the other diseases globally. And we'll talk about that next year in just a couple minutes. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.